This is the BearCast, presented by Bird Culture and Ford. Bird Culture Ford has been in Waco since 1936. Ford is the number one selling truck in Texas, 43 years running. The BearCast is also presented by WellMed Medical Management and USMD Health System Dallas. Here's Craig Smoke and Grayson Grundhafer. What's up, everybody? Welcome into a brand new edition of the BearCast on Sikkim365.com, 365 Sports. We come to you following a 42-7 non-con closeout victory for Baylor football over Texas State. And now all attention turns towards Big 12 play. And up first, a road trip to Ames, Iowa to take on the Iowa State Cyclones, who are 3-0 and have a big win over their rival Iowa for the first time in Matt Campbell's tenure and I think uh, are knocking on the door of the top 25. If they were to beat Baylor, uh, certainly a team that you would see jump into that top 25. And if Baylor gets a win, well, that would be a huge hurdle uh, out of the way to start off conference play. But easier said than done. I'm Craig Smoke, Sikkim365.com. Reporter, uh, writer, also radio host, uh, joined by Grayson Grunhafer, director of broadcasting, also team and recruiting reporter. And Grayson, uh, it was not the prettiest the first half, so you wondered how they would come out after BYU and just all that you know came with that in terms of the emotions and the hangover and the physical toll and the injuries, uh, you know, part of that physical toll, and, and that's something we'll touch on as well. But there was just a lot going on, a lot of things in the air uh, last week. And, you know, thankfully they didn't have to turn around and play Iowa State right after BYU. That might have been really bad. Uh, and we saw what happened when, Iowa, uh, when BYU had to go right onto the road and play a pretty good Oregon team. They got demolished uh, this past weekend. Baylor in the first half, I don't think anybody, at least I didn't, ever get scared they were going to lose this game. But I did wonder how long it was going to take them to pull away. And uh, it took them a little while, but in the end, uh, they got a W. So how are you feeling this week? Yeah, I mean, it was a good week, you know, getting to watch Baylor come out and respond after the loss to BYU. I agree. You know, the first half was not great. I mean, it was basically a 14-7 game until, you know, Baylor had a nice last drive before the half. But in general, you know, I think for Baylor, this was more about trying to get healthy this week, come out with a win. They even covered. I mean, they were a 30-point favorite. They won by 35. So you're happy with that. I think, you know, if they would have pulled away sooner, people would feel better about this game. But in general, you know, they ran the ball really well, got back to that. Um, I felt like the passing game was okay. You know, it had a couple moments here or there. Uh, if you look at Blake Shapin, you know, he had a nice day. I think his QBR at 87.3 kind of speaks to the fact that he was maybe a little bit better than his numbers say at the end of the day. And I think, again, the run game, getting back to that physical style, uh, was absolutely massive for this team while also trying to just stay healthy and get healthy. Well, this was the Richard Reese show. Uh, that's what you'll remember this game as, I think, most of all when it comes to uh, what they did ultimately and how they pulled away. Uh, taking a look at the... Uh, I guess, scores in this ball game. Uh, Baylor able to get on the board early with a 13-play, 75-yard drive right out of the gates. And uh, that was a good sign that they were, um, you know, had a good script at least coming out that first drive. Uh, impressive to see them, you know, move it uh, all up and down the field and, you know, cap off a, a nice double-digit play drive. That's something that uh, I think we saw a little bit of that and a lot of explosive plays as well uh, when it came to the offense this week. 
Yeah, definitely. And I mean, on that drive, they got that fourth and two conversion with Gavin Yates. Uh, since Ben Sims didn't play, you got to see a little bit more of Yates in this one. Um, but yeah, ultimately a nice drive capped off Richard Reese, you know, with the touchdown. And that kind of was just the beginning for what was going to be a massive day for the freshman. Yeah, Baylor uh, gets the ball back a few uh, drives later um, after exchanging punts and then stopping Texas State on downs. So that was a key uh, as well, uh, you know, stopping them in their own territory uh, on more than a, on more than one occasion, um, but got a stop inside the 30-yard line as uh, they went forward on fourth and two. Turned right around with a nice response to make it 14 to nothing, and uh, that was something that, uh, you know, you wondered, again, kind of how they were going to separate, but Craig Williams, a nice 30-yard run, so there was some of the explosive after we got the big long drive to get the first touchdown. A few plays here. This wasn't a big boom, two plays, and they scored, but it was capped off by an explosive play as, as Craig Williams was able to get loose. Yeah, and it's always nice to see Squirrel, you know, running well, and I think they're going to rely on him a lot going into this week. I'm very curious how they divvy hand, handoffs and, you know, who gets the bulk of the carries. I think right now, you know, the best bet would be Richard Reese, but I'm also wondering if maybe they're saving up Squirrel a little bit uh, for conference play, which is obviously here now. As I mentioned, uh, they get stops on four downs, uh, able to stop Texas State on a 14-play drive at the four-yard line. Uh, huge play, incompletion, ends uh, the fourth-and-four effort uh, from the Bobcats. So this wasn't like it was 14 nothing and they had got stops and hadn't been threatened at all. It was 14 nothing and they had had to make a couple of stops defensively in their own territory, including on their four-yard line. Baylor turned right around and punt, and then Texas State scores, and it's 14-7 to late in the first half. It's like... Um, Again, I wasn't worried they were going to lose, but I was wondering, okay, when are you going to pull away here? And look, Texas State had been flirting with scoring on previous two drives, so they're finally able to to punch it in. And yeah, they cut it to a, a one-score game with less than two minutes to play. How are you feeling at this point? Well, and there was a key exchange there because Baylor on third and 11 completed a pass to Seth Jones, and they reviewed it and yeah. called it an incompletion. I still feel like that was a a catch yeah and so but that was a big play right because there was I think uh yeah 341 when Baylor ended up you know punting there they could have wasted more time I don't think Texas State gets the ball back or if they do they don't have as much time they have to drive a longer field that was a big play and a, a big call that allowed Texas State to get back in the game a little bit at least for the time being and yeah when it was 14-7 I'm kind of like okay it's about to be halftime can Baylor come down and just get a field goal or something just to extend the lead a little bit yeah, and they did as uh, they had a nice, strong drive to close out the uh, the first half on fourth down and one at the Texas State 35. Uh, Baylor goes for it, obviously a little bit out of their field goal range, and um, what else are you going to do? I mean, you're not going to punt the ball there. So uh, they go for it, and uh, they get the first down. They get more than that 35-yard touchdown run from Blake Shapin uh, as uh, – just under 30 seconds to go uh, in the half, uh, he's able to convert on a huge play and uh, get them a, a two-score lead and I think a little bit of breathing room. And I think after that, they were able to kind of go in there and get a breather at halftime. But a, a massive play. Uh, this offense is better when he's using his legs or whoever the quarterback is is using their legs. And we saw a little bit of that this weekend, including on this play in particular. And uh, it came up huge because after that, I think everybody, like I said, could kind of relax. And you weren't really worried after this play. Prior to this, for the first, you know, for a few minutes, you're like, okay, what? It's fourteen to seven here, 
And then, you know, you pop it back open, and you're like, all right, uh, we can we can breathe a little bit going into the locker room. Yeah, and a couple of key things on this drive. Javon Gibson, we haven't gotten to see much of him at all uh, heading into this game. Got to see two catches from him on this drive uh, for 22 yards. Um, so pretty solid on this drive. And obviously, I think the Blake shape and run is kind of a big thing. Uh, because they haven't ran him a lot, and I think this might be an area where they're able to keep defenses honest a little bit now that they've actually seen him run the football some. Um, So that's going to be something to watch going into this Iowa State game to see how much they trust him to run the football um, and also just how much he decides to run the football, to be honest. So I I think that was a pretty big one, that 35-yard run. Good to see him get into the open field and get some confidence. So uh, Texas State got the ball to start the second half down 21-7. After a few plays, they get again into Baylor territory and are right there on the edge of, you know, flirting with the red zone. I mean, still need about 15 yards, but they were inside the Baylor 40 a lot on the day. Um, It was just getting into the red zone and finishing it off that was the more difficult issue. But there they were again inside the 40, and uh, this time – uh, just a nice play by Baylor's defense, like kind of an, a combination of a Al Walcott and Mike Harris, and Mike Harris ends up coming away with the uh, the fumble recovery. Uh, so Baylor gets the ball back. Uh, they drive, you know, about 30 yards on eight plays, and then Blake Shapin with his first career interception uh, and the most obvious interception. Like, he left his hand, and I think the entire stadium was like, that's a pick. At least I know everybody in my vicinity saw that coming a mile away, so... Uh, gave one right back after getting one, and we know how hard it is for this team to get turnovers, so disappointing to see them get one and then give it right back uh, when they really could have driven in the dagger. Uh, Texas State would go on to, again, have a series end on downs. Like This was kind of the story of their day, but uh, they're able to get down to the uh, Baylor 49 and go for it on fourth and five. Incomplete pass, so Baylor gets the ball at midfield. And six plays, 51 yards. Gavin Holmes with the receiving touchdown. And Baylor breaks it open 28-7. First touchdown for him uh, receiving in quite a long time. He did have the uh, the return, uh, what was that, in the first game of the yeah, year? Versus uh, Albany. Yeah, versus Albany. He had the return touchdown, but the first receiving touchdown in quite some time. And uh, that was a pretty significant sequence, so we'll leave it there. But a lot going on there in that kind of open to the second half with turnovers and then Eventually, uh, the big play by Gavin Holmes. Yeah, and he was their leading receiver on the day, which really isn't saying a whole lot. Uh, three for no, 46 and <laughs> a touchdown. Um, you know, he's been filling in for Monterey admirably. He's made a couple big plays, had a nice catch in the BYU game. But, um, yeah, I mean, there's not much you can say on the passing game right now. That's going to have to look a whole lot better going into this week. But good to see Gavin continuing to make an impact, and that's what you want to see from these older guys. Well, it's a good thing Iowa State's not good against the run. That shouldn't be a problem. Problem this weekend, <laughs> yeah, that's uh, we'll get to that obviously. Uh, so 28 7, three and out for Texas State. Baylor fumbles again, score Williams. That was that was definitely a problem this week. He almost had two, uh, he had almost had one on a return that was crucial, and uh, he had this one right here that he did lose. Luckily, Texas State can't do anything in Baylor territory basically outside of the one touchdown drive they had. They get down to the 29 this time of Baylor. And on 4th and 10, uh, they go and opt to kick the field goal. It gets blocked by T.J. Franklin, who seems to do that like once every couple of weeks or so. Uh, so another scoring threat ended. Baylor keeps it 28-7 and then turn around and make it 35-7, a two-play drive that sees a 52-yard run from Richard Reese. And uh, at that point, it's just off to the races. 
Uh, three and out, Texas State once again. Turn back around. Another touchdown from Richard Reese on a two-play drive that was set up from a big play to uh, Joshua Fleeks. And then uh, the cap-off run of five yards from Richard Reese. So back-to-back Richard Reese touchdowns, back-to-back big explosive plays on drives uh, to either score or set up the score. And, uh, you know, another forced punt. So, like, it's a nice sequence of events, and, and there was blowout city at this point. Yeah, really nice exchange there as you're starting to see Baylor pull away there in that fourth quarter, and they really had another opportunity to make it even worse, but uh, obviously gave away that chance. But, yeah, I mean, I felt like that exchange right there really solidified things of, you know, Baylor had a good day, right? Mm -hmm. Not a great day, but a good day. I think that really capped things off to start the fourth quarter. Two teams would exchange punts uh, in the fourth quarter. Uh, Then Texas State would punt again. They really had nothing left in the tank at this point. And then Baylor, at the end of the game, uh, they have – Josh Fleeks there uh, getting into Texas State territory and probably could have scored again uh, with about two and a half minutes to go, at least kicked a field goal or something. But Fleeks fumbles, a lot of fumbles on Saturday, and uh, that's a concern going into this Saturday for sure. Uh, But he fumbles after squirting loose for a nice 10-plus yard gain and uh, not much to it just other than not being secure with the football. Uh, So Texas State gets the the ball back, and it was basically the end of the game at that point. Uh, Baylor wins, and uh, they win comfortably 42-7, to but really could have won by a lot more, uh, quite frankly. And then again, Texas State could have kept it even closer if they were able to convert – you know, a little more inside the 40 of Baylor. They were certainly down there often enough. Um, but that's one thing about this Bears defense is they do bow up and they do get stops ultimately. Uh, so, yeah, there it was. There was there was your bounce back from BYU. Yeah, so I might be completely wrong on this, Craig, but I, I think watching the game, I believe at one point Lane Hatcher was 20 of 25 throwing the football. I think it was something it was something along those lines. I mean, I don't I did not pay attention yeah. to that, but you say that and I can believe it because they just kept hitting the belly of that defense right. over and over again. Yeah, so to start the game, I think it was something like that. I think it was 20 of 25. He ends up 20 of 24 of 36. And there was so no they, Dylan Doyle too to be clear, and that's kind of yeah. where they were hitting some of that that soft well, spot. And they were it's, you know, it's something we're going to talk about. They were attacking the middle of that secondary with Devin Neal and mm-hmm. Al Walcott, especially with their star receiver Ashton Hawkins, who was a problem all day long and something we're going to talk about, frankly, going into this Iowa State game because Baylor against number one receivers, it's been a problem. Chase Roberts and Ashton Hawkins have been nightmares for them. And now you're facing one of the best receivers in the country. We'll talk about him in a little bit. But overall, you know, you mentioned Josh Fleeks. This is a guy who hasn't gotten to play a lot, had a big explosive play. Like you can't fumble the football. Because when you fumble the football, you're taking away opportunities for yourself to get on the field. Um, so I was disappointed to see that. Um, I felt like Richard Reese was awesome. You know, we're gonna he was a star. About him. He was yeah, a star. Was 19 for 156, three touchdowns, had a 52-yard run. Uh, they kept smacking away with him against that Texas State defense, and just like is like hitting glass like mm-hmm. a little bit harder, and you start to see the cracks in the spider webs, and then eventually, like you know, it's gonna burst through, and they could tell, and they could sense it, and they kept running him. And eventually, bang, yeah, he burst through and then did it again. And they built up his confidence and, you know, let him kind of run free and uh, feel good and, and kind of get a taste for everything. And I don't think that was any coincidence. It was very calculated, I think, on their part, especially with the knowledge that Tay McWilliams is probably not back anytime soon. This is going to be the Richard Reese and Squirrel Show yeah. uh, with a little bit of Quaylen sprinkled in and probably some Blake shaping in the run game. Yeah, and Quaylen is banged up, too. You can tell. He's, he's yep. still dealing with something from that BYU game. But 37 carries, 293 yards, five touchdowns. 
That's a great day. Yeah, and That's, almost uh, over 500 yards total of offense. The yeah. passing game was not that great, though. Uh, I know that yeah. Aranda said, let's let's just say uh, running game, thumbs up. Yes. I mean, 300 yards practically, 293 to be exact. A-plus outside the fumbles. Yeah, five touchdowns, but, yeah, the, the fumble issues have to get cleared up. Um that's just, I mean, that's going to get you killed in Ames, Iowa if you fumble the ball multiple times like that. Uh, but, yeah, Reese was the star. Squirrel only got eight carries, but he made, you know, uh, not the most, but he did well with them, 56 yards, a seven yards a pop, and had a touchdown as well. Had a long of 30. Uh, Shapin was able to get active. I had the big run, obviously, to close the first half and give them a little bit of breathing room. Uh, and then outside, yeah, Quaylen Jones had one carry. Kyron Jones had a couple carries, but then again, he's a quarterback, so that's just kind of taken into account, you know, um, him having to run with the ball, period. But uh, Hal Presley had one carry for two yards. So, yeah, it was the recent Williams show. But then receiving-wise, um, yeah, uh, Holmes, three for 46 in a score. He's the only receiver to score. Everybody else, 10-plus guys, had at least a reception. Um, Fleeks, the one for 45. Jones, two for 28. Gibson, two for 22, you know, uh, but ultimately, yeah, a little over 200 yards passing in a score. I mean, is this just what it is? Like, yeah, I, dude, I think so. Like, I mean, you know, Smokey was talking yesterday, and he was kind of, I, I don't mean this negative, but he's kind of tiptoeing around it almost. Like, yeah, there's some things to kind of, you know, and I think everybody's kind of doing that. Everybody's kind of, like, waiting for yeah. the switch to flip, and I think I finally just burst in. I was like, are you just trying to, and I, I didn't mean it mean. I think I was, I wanted to say the same thing. It was like, He's trying to say they're not as good as you think they were supposed to be or are going to be. And he's like, not exactly, but kind of. And I'm like, well, that's fine because I'm right there with you. Like, yeah, they're not exactly where I thought that they would be. Now, granted, I was thinking eight and four all offseason. It was like the high water mark. And towards the end, I'll admittedly bought into some of the hype and started leaning more towards 10. And I would still, I don't know, I'd probably lean back to more towards eight now based on the three games we've seen. But I think like all the stuff that you thought was going to be problematic has been problematic. I think some of the stuff that you thought might not be an issue has turned into an issue. And I think some of the hopes that, you know, this would maybe, uh, you know, like a receiving core, for example, would be better quicker. Um, that's just not happening right now. It's taken them a lot longer to get um, ready than, than what you'd had hoped for ideally. So, you know, whether it was fair or not to expect a bunch of freshmen and sophomores who barely played to all be like Big 12 caliber starting wide receiving core three games in, that's probably not fair. But that's kind of like what some of it was being sold as in the offseason of like, well, it'll be fine. Like, don't worry about it. And I don't know. I kind of worried about it. And then kind of let the just the optimism overflow and thought, okay, well, you got your quarterback, you got your lines, you'll figure it out skill-wise, but I don't know, man. They're, they're still figuring it, out, figuring it out, and, I mean, they're about to go into the teeth of this schedule, and I don't feel great, honestly, going into Ames, Iowa, about them being able to, to score a whole bunch in this game. Yeah, I, I think, first of all, they desperately need Monterey Baldwin back. Oh, yeah. I think that is, and, and Ben Sims as well, so you're talking about Anybody two, they can get, yeah, right. weapon-wise, but especially those two, the, yeah. I mean, those two are their best receivers. I think it's pretty clear that those two also help a guy like Hal Presley a lot, you know, with his ability to take the top off the defense, so... I think they're missing them. I think Monterey was very much a safety blanket for Blake Shapin, and we saw that in the spring game. You know, we saw it a little bit in the Albany game. I think we were going to see it in the BYU game, and then he got hurt. And so you're missing your two safety blankets, and this team simply has not been explosive throwing the ball deep. So it's like, who's left to throw the ball to? And I think that's kind of where a big problem has arised. And I just, you know, I'm sitting here and going, okay, when they're fully healthy, are they going to be able to throw the ball at a higher level? Because plain and simply, if they cannot, 
then this is going to be a seven and five, eight and four team. But if they're the team that I thought they were going into the year where they will have moments where they do create explosive plays in the passing game, then I still think they can get to their ultimate goal of being, you know, a nine and three, 10 and two team that makes the big 12 championship. But a lot has to change in the passing game. And I know people have talked about the offensive line, but the run game has been just fine. It has been just fine in my eyes. I know the BYU game, it started slow, but by the end of it, they were moving bodies. They were running the football, even without Khalil Keith. So I really think that the biggest thing that I'm looking at is how do they get better in the passing game? When does that leap happen? And will it even happen? Yeah, I mean, I think it's legitimate to ask, will it happen? You know, how long will it take Hal Presley and, you know, even Gavin Holmes to an extent? Uh, or, you know, if they if these guys can take another you know, step up, like, I mean, maybe this is Gavin Holmes, like, what you see is what you get, and, you know, I think with some of these younger guys, but Gavin as well, like, Gavin's as veteran as they have, but he's also been gone for, like, vast stretches of time, so, like, they, they obviously lost a lot, I'm, I am surprised, and I do wonder, like, it, how much more of a priority wide receiver in hindsight would have been in the transfer portal. Um, I don't know how much that would have helped, though. Like, would one guy have made a difference? Like, I'm sure Isaiah Nayor would have, but yeah. would just anybody have, like a Drew Estrada have made a difference this year? I don't know that he would have. So maybe that wasn't so much like they felt totally fine and didn't need anybody, or they felt fine that nobody they could have gotten really would have made that much of a difference. So what was the point, you know? Yeah. Um, but if there was somebody out there, they probably should have gotten him, like, honestly. But, again, it's not all on the receivers. It's a combination, it feels like, of things right at the moment. Right, and I think missing those two guys has really hurt them and the passing attack. But you're right. Like, when you're sitting here and going, man, Seth Jones looked good. Like, he was two for 28. We're, we're, like, we're shining we're, a lot up when we we're talking about good. And, yeah. I, and, I mean, like, I can sit there and say, hey, Javon Gibson had a nice drive. Those were his only two catches. Well, even, even Monterey Baldwin, like, he's had flashes, but it hasn't like he was some dominant receiver before he left yeah you know? what four for 84 in the first game and then and it's like wow that's like a 200 yard game yeah. yeah yeah i mean it's true i i you know you saw how presley flashed the first game but here's the thing how presley's one of six in this game one one catch for six yards yeah a lot of guys that over it's, 10 guys had a catch and a few of them had two but, but who are going to be the guys and maybe it's been in monterey and we're just like wrong on them and maybe they're the kind of two guys that are just so much better than everyone else that they're just missing them entirely. And that could be the case. And that's why I'm still kind of like, okay, maybe they do take a step forward because once they get those two guys back, they're going to take a massive leap. I just don't know. I haven't seen it from Shapin yet. And, you know, he needs to get that Big 12 championship magic back because we simply have not seen that at all through the first three games. No, uh, it's, you know, I, I feel like there's a lot of, uh, like I said, shining up. Uh, you know, there's a lot of people like, Shapin played so great. I, I felt like he played pretty well. I don't think he was, like, great by any means, though. I mean, he threw for, like, 50% completion percentage. I mean, that's just, I, I'm sorry, that's not going to be very good in, in most cases. I mean, that's a lot of. And had a horrible interception. A lot like. of incompletions. And, and, yeah, had a horrible interception that, again, was, like, the most obvious interception I've seen in a really long time. Like, the whole stadium, it felt like, left their bodies and we were all just as one going that's a pick as soon as it left his hand um but yeah there there are definitely concerns like I don't want to take away from the win it was good to see them bounce back because obviously BYU wasn't able to, to follow up now granted they had a much tougher opponent following up they had to go on the road Oregon's actually pretty good when Bo Nix plays well so you know there's no shame in that but they were still clearly feeling a hangover from the the uh, excitement dump that they had the, the week prior. And Baylor, you were kind of worried about, like, that hangover factor. And I think you saw that in the first half, and I think they woke up a little bit in the second. But even when they woke up, it wasn't, though, 
It wasn't like you went like, oh, there's that team, and like that's the team that's going to run away with this bad boy once they get into conference play um, or run through this bad boy. Uh, no, I, instead I'm like, yeah, they did what they were supposed to do, and I still have a lot of questions about what we're going to see over the next nine, ten weeks or so. Right. I, I do think, and I brought this up to Garrett and Jack you know, before we started the show, but the other problem I'm having is I'm looking at what Oregon did to BYU and Bo Nix – is, I'm sorry, Bo Nix is not a great quarterback. He was 13 of 18 for 222 yards and two touchdowns. He barely played the fourth quarter. Um, he diced that BYU secondary. Absolutely was not close. Um, they also ran the ball really well, you know, for nearly five yards a carry. I know it was at home. I know it was after the Baylor game, but it's still not a good look when Bo Nix is tearing apart your secondary and Baylor couldn't find an answer to pick apart the BYU secondary at all. I will also say, you know, Chase Roberts, he had, what, eight for 120 yards and a touchdown against Baylor, only had four for 60 against Oregon. Again, these are just red flags for me where I'm going, okay, BYU definitely wasn't as good as we thought they were, and... It just makes you a little cautious on what Baylor is and also the fact that Baylor's had so many problems on the road. It's just it's an alert for me a little bit. Oh yeah, no, it's it's basically what I was worried about, all being legitimate concerns or remaining legitimate concerns and some of the stuff that you tried to kind of overlook or look past or just feel like, okay, that'll be better than it is right now. I, I don't know that that's really happened uh, where it needs to happen. They've had improvements. But not to the level of, um, of just a, you know, a team that's hitting on all cylinders as they enter conference play. It feels like a couple cylinders are sort of firing, and then a couple aren't firing at all. And they got to figure out how they can unclog those. And if not, then it's going to be kind of more like when Matt Rule's offenses were out there, and you're like just a struggle to get up and down the field and, you know, get into the end zone. That's kind of how it's felt off and on at times. And that's why Saturday was good in a way, is because at least there's a couple moments you're like, boom, explosive play, like. There you go. Like, that's what you're going to have to have. Whether they can maintain that or sustain that, I don't know. But, yeah, it's going to be going to be very interesting coming up on Saturday against Iowa State. So, let's look at Iowa State here. They opened the season with a 40, uh, let's see, a 42-10 to 10 win over uh, Southeastern Missouri. Followed that up with a 10-7 win over rival Iowa. The first win over Iowa, and it was on the road, to their credit, but the first win for Matt Campbell since he – joined the uh, Cyclones back in 2016. So that's been tough sledding, that game for them. No matter how good they've been, they have not won that game. And this time they did win that game despite trying to give it away with more special teams blunders. And just, um, you know, it gave Iowa's defense a lot of credit. Iowa's defense is nasty. No other part of their team offensively, though, is a threat. And, uh, and that's... Why it was just a nasty defensive slugfest, and Iowa State had a bunch of turn, a bunch of mistakes, and eventually it was a 10-7 game, but they won the 10-7 game to their credit. Turn right around, beat the mess out of Ohio, 43 to 10 last week. So uh, they're looking good, and they're off to a three and zero start, and they're at home, and with no love lost for Baylor, and, and pro- I even saw one of their their big beat writers who's like as gung ho Mr. Iowa State as you can possibly be, who's talking this morning about how it just feels like Iowa State kind of owes Baylor one or even owes them a couple, and I don't know why they really owe them. Like, I saw the bringing up of the game, like, two years ago of the fight with, uh, was that David or, Montgomery and... Oh, that one. Yeah. Oh, really that, Yeah. Back. Oh, dude, okay. they hold on to grudges like nobody's business. I thought they were talking the Brewer when Brewer got the oh, I'm sure that, like I'm sure whatever. that will be brought up as well. 
but they've already started airing their grievances, and they feel like they owe Baylor a couple. I'm assuming if he thinks that way, then all of the minions think that way as well. Um, and I don't mean that insult-wise, but just, you know, he's kind of speaks for a lot of them, I think, is a, a speakerphone for many. And so, yeah, there's that feeling, which I think Iowa State always kind of has that that grudge with Baylor. There's, like I said, no love lost there. So, yeah, I mean, they're going to have that edge because it's Baylor coming to town. They you kind of know what the deal is with these teams. You know it's usually a nasty physical game with these two. Uh, the last couple times in Ames, it has gotten real nasty. Um you know, there was the whole no fans on the sideline. There's like all these little little petty things that have yeah. happened in this series that they particularly hold on to yeah. more than anybody. They do. And, um, yeah, there probably won't be fans on the sideline this week. I don't know what the weather report is. I don't know if that'll matter. Baylor brings some just in case. Um, and I'm sure there will be some other little tiff here and there. But they're 3-0. They're feeling good. And they might be the best team in the Big 12. I think there's a bunch of teams vying for it. Um, they may not be right this very moment, but – they're good, and they're going to be um, in contention. And uh, they've been able to, so far, uh, transfer pretty well from Brock Purdy and you know, kind of what they were familiar with the last two years to the Hunter Deckers era. So a lot of familiar faces also back for them. Your thoughts on Iowa State? Yeah, I mean, Iowa State's a good team. I do not think that they're the best team in the Big 12. I, I, think I don't think is, right this moment they are, yeah. but I think when all said and done, they might be. Mm, yeah, again, I, I'm not sold on them. I think they're 7-5, uh, 8-4. Type team, okay. which is fine. Like, that's kind of what they have been under Matt Campbell. Um, that That's kind of where they've ranged for the most part outside of the one year where they had a great year, obviously, during COVID. But, you know, I, I think that when I look at this team, I see a team that is okay offensively and very, very good defensively. I don't think they're elite defensively, but I think they're very, very good. You look at pretty much every metric and it tells you this is a defense that can flat out get after you. My issue is... They haven't been tested by a good offense at all. Even an offense with a pulse, really, at all this season. Iowa is one of the worst offenses in the entire country. Southeast Missouri, I they're not good. Ohio, they got blown out also by Penn State. They're not good offensively either. Baylor, on the other hand, already had that road test with BYU against a good offense for sure. And a team that can actually push you a little bit on that side of the ball. So I'm coming into this game and I'm kind of thinking, okay, I think Baylor's going to be able to get a lot of stops, and I think that's going to allow Baylor to stay in this game for as long as they possibly can, as long as they're not turning the ball over a ton. And that means on the road, if they can go in there and run the football and just take care of the football, they should put themselves in a pretty good spot. I don't think Iowa State has faced a team quite like Baylor, whereas I think Baylor facing BYU has faced a team that is at least comparable to this Iowa State team. Um, now, as far as some areas to look at, I mean, their quarterback, Hunter Deckers, uh, 745 yards, eight touchdowns, three interceptions, uh, but a couple areas. So the positive area for him, he's completing 74% of his passes. So he's been red hot, been very accurate with the football, but on the flip side, the three interceptions, he is prone to give you opportunities to force turnovers. Keep an eye on that. I think Baylor's going to get an interception this week. They might be able to get two from Deckers this week. I, I think it's coming. I really do think this secondary's gotten close. I think they make it happen this week. He's also only averaging 7.3 yards per attempt. His adjusted yards per attempt are only at 7.3. That's really low. That is not great. That's not a great sign for your offense from an explosive standpoint. And so, therefore, throwing the football, 
I think they have more concerns than I think some people will believe. Obviously, Xavier Hutchinson, 28 receptions, 319 yards, five touchdowns. He's going to be a problem for Baylor because uh, Baylor simply hasn't been able to even come close to shutting down opposing teams' wide receiver ones, and he is the best wide receiver one they have faced by a mile. So he's going to be a problem. You can already pencil him in probably for eight catches, 120 yards, and a touchdown. Might as well just go ahead and pencil that in for this game because he's at least getting that in this one. On the flip side, running the football, Jirel Brock, 50 carries, 280 yards, and a touchdown. He's averaging 5.6 yards per carry, but make no mistake about it, this guy is not Brees Hall. He is not going to run all over Baylor. I do not see that happening whatsoever. I think Baylor's going to shut down their run game and force Hunter Deckers to beat them through the air. I just am not worried about their running backs. I don't think they pose a whole lot of problems. Um, I know Baylor had trouble with Brees Hall last year, but that's a completely different animal than what they're going to see with Jirel Brock, and that's going to be a focus for the Bears, I think. Take away the run, force Deckers to beat you, force him into mistakes, and do everything you can to just do not let Xavier Hutchinson beat you. And I think that's the most important thing as far as guarding uh, the Iowa State offense. Meanwhile, uh, Matt Campbell uh, mentioned uh, quite a bit in off-season uh, talk that's very much in-season now with the coaching carousel underway, the Nebraska job. I don't think that'll have any effect, though, on Iowa State, really. They're used to that at this point. But, um, yeah, get used to him week three getting mentioned for jobs. That sucks for their fan base. It really yeah. does. But Baylor fans kind of know what that's like. And, shoot, I'm sure we'll hear Dave Aranda at some point. The more jobs open up, I'm sure his name will be thrown into the mix um, but yeah, that Nebraska job, actually we have heard him mention with Nebraska, I guess it just depends on what random list, but Matt Campbell, Lance Leipold at Kansas as well. Um, so yeah, that's a, it's kind of a side plot that really has nothing to do with this game, but, uh, it's just kind of, you know, um, kind of the deal with Matt Campbell. It's just always some speculation, some, some sort or another with him, but yeah, he's got a good team and, and yeah, they're not perfect by any stretch, but we're three games in. So a lot of these teams are just spreading their wings and we'll see kind of how they develop, but, um, very tough test coming Baylor's way this weekend for sure. Yeah. Let's talk about their defense a little bit. I think we should probably just talk a little bit about, I know they haven't played great offenses, but they are 13th in the country in team passing efficiency defense. So they really try to take that away and limit you throwing the football. Opposing quarterbacks are only completing 51% of their passes. Um, that does not bode well for what we've seen from Baylor uh, throwing the football. They're only giving up 174 yards passing per game. You match that with only giving up 60 yards rushing per game and under three yards per carry. It's at 2.6 yards per carry, and you can kind of see why I'm saying, you know, this Iowa State defense is really good. I still will say they haven't played a very competent offense, but I think it's still to be determined on how good Baylor's offense truly is. So I'm very curious about that matchup there. Uh, Iowa State very well coached on the defensive side. They do have some playmakers, Orion Vance, Colby Reeder. Uh, those are a couple guys who are very, very good. Uh, Gary Vaughn, also a good player, but they force turnovers. They get in your face on the defensive side. They play that bend but don't break defense, but they also try to force turnovers and create some havoc uh, while also making you one-dimensional. Um, so that'll be something to watch because we know it's, it's kind of one of those things. Iowa State saying, we only give up 60 yards per game rushing the football. We're not going to let you run it. Baylor, on the other hand, is like, you know what? We're going to turn around and hand the ball off. So which side wins that battle, I think, is going to be probably the most important factor in this entire game. All right. Uh, anything else on Iowa State? Nothing really. I think those are the main points here for this one. Overall, it's going to be a really tough test for Baylor, and we kind of know that. You know, I think that Baylor needs to play this game in the low 20s 
Um, I think if they want to win this one, I don't think you're going to see a big offensive explosion from either team. Um, so I think you're probably looking at, you know, 24-20 type game or a 21-17 type game. But uh, overall, I, I think both defenses are going to play extremely well. Yeah, I mean, I definitely expect some bumps and bruises coming out of this one. Uh, 11 a.m. kickoff in Ames. At least that's two weeks in a row they have played kind of at the same time. So they'll have, you know, less of a body clock issue than maybe they did last week coming off of the late trip from uh, BYU. Um, but, yeah, they're going to have a lot of adversity on the, in this in this game, no doubt about it. So uh, getting to questions here, mailback yeah, questions. Uh, Bear Love 89, will a lead dog emerge at wide receiver by the end of the year? And if so, who? Yeah, I think it's going to be Monterey Baldwin. Um, he's dealing with an injury right now, but according to Dave Aranda, it seems like he'll be back this week, or at least he's trending in that direction. They need him back. I think he's going to be their lead dog at wide receiver, and then I think you'll see how Presley and Ben Sims kind of be the other two guys that really excel in the passing game. Yeah, I mean, I definitely think that some guys will emerge as the season goes on. It's just a question of how long throughout the season does it take for certain guys to emerge. You know, is it another four or five games, and then Hal Presley's suddenly like the man, and we're talking about him, you know, next year as like a 1,000-yard receiver? Or are we talking about that like at the very end of this year? Or are we talking about that at all? And like, and who are and how are we talking about every, you know all these other guys as well, Javon Gibson or a Seth Jones or whoever you want to throw into that mix? Uh, I definitely think guys will develop, but just at probably different paces, and uh, you know, hopefully in season sooner rather than later because that's really what they need right now. You know, all the the future stuff is great. Like I think in the future, this receiving core, you can really be like, yeah, they'll be great, but. That's not important right now. Like they need some guys right now to be pretty good, and, and they're going through some growing pain. So, uh, yeah, uh, yes on the question. And uh, if I had to guess, I mean, yeah, probably Monterey Baldwin would be the, the leading candidate, but Jones and um, you know maybe one or two others uh, certainly seem like they could become regular contributors. Um, you know, At what point do you think they start experimenting a little bit with some of the other guys? Like, we're not even seeing Jalen Ellis on the field, no, nor Armani Winfield, Jordan Neighbors, he's been banged up. Like, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I was kind of hesitant when there was so much talk about Cameron and Neighbors this offseason is like they were going to come in and be just like major contributors, and I, I wasn't fully bought into that. But, yeah, there's been very – like, I mean, I just – I think it's kind of weird that the things that people are getting excited about is like one catch here and yeah. a couple catches there and – you know, that's just kind of the case. Like, I, I don't know. Uh, I don't know. I don't know if you go deeper into the bag, if that means there's even more quality that you're really pulling out. Right. I mean, they, I think they're rolling with the best guys they got. And I don't know that going farther down the depth chart is really going to, you know, kickstart anything. But, I mean, at some point, if if somebody's not breaking out and we're, you know, a few weeks into Big 12 play, then, yeah, they're going to have to figure something out, you would think. Um, and, you know, and not all that's on the receivers, obviously, as well. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of a team thing. Uh, Grant Lynn, is there any reason to be concerned about the Grimes offense long-term? We haven't scored more than 28 points against a Power 5 opponent since playing a pretty terrible Texas defense last season, and the majority of the games we scored in the low 20s. And you know, Part of the RVO was running a few plays in a lot of different ways, formations. Do you think teams have started to figure it out? Also, are we going to uh, – let's just start okay. right there. Um, I, I think – I understand where you're coming from. I understand the concern, but I think there's a flip side to this. So if you watch Kansas play, for instance, Kansas runs an RVO. They run their style of RVO with Lance Leipold. But the thing of it is, is that their defense is terrible. So their RVO is literally schemed to score as many points as possible. You're taking more shots. You're taking more risks. Um, whereas Baylor, on the other hand, you know, Baylor is still in this mode where their defense is going to win them 
a Big 12 championship if they're going to get there. That's the goal. Your offense just has to be good enough. So I think for Baylor offensively, it's more about getting first downs. It's more about driving long distances and, and winning time of possession and scoring in the red zone and doing the little things well more so than trying to put up a ton of points. I, I don't think that that's what they're necessarily going for. You'd like to score a lot of points, but I think it has to fit within the confines of doing the little things well, moving the chains, controlling time of possession, and, and things like that. So I'd caution people to just look at the point total as a you know reflection of how good the offense is because I do think you know they're more geared towards let's help out our defense is what it seems like to me at least. Yeah, and I don't think it's so much figuring it figuring them out. I mean, I, I think, you know, it's not like super complex what they're trying to do offensively. No. It's, it's just that they're not executing as well as they did last year in some cases. They're not as explosive as they were in some cases, and they're figuring some things out. But I don't think it's that the defenses have figured out Jeff Grimes' offense. I, I would also say I think they've been vanilla through three weeks a little bit. I know saying, oh, they were vanilla against BYU might be, you know, people might be like, why would you do that against a ranked team? I get that. I think that losing Monterey played a role in that. So I do think, you know, going into this game, you might see an uptick. I think this is a game where you need to see an uptick, right? Like if, if you don't see it in this game, I don't know if you're ever going to see it, especially on the road this year, uh, because they continue, like I said, to struggle there three and eight during Dave Aranda's tenure on the road. Yeah, and Monterey's good, but, like, he's not Jordan Addison. You know, he's not, like, he's not Marvin Mims uh, or Xavier Worthy or any of those. He's not Xavier Hutchinson. Like, I mean, he's shown some flashes, but he needs to show a lot more before he gets into even that category. So that's kind of how depleted they are in terms of playmakers that you even kind of, like, prop him up a little bit because, you know, he he's still, I think, very much uh, – an unfinished product in so many ways. Uh, as to the question about also we're going to lose basically our entire offense, offensive line after this season, uh, yes. Uh, basically, yeah. Basically, most of the offensive line, yep. I mean, Byers will be back, and he's been starting a lot. So, I mean, that's something. He hasn't been amazing. But, and outside of that, yeah. they're losing all of it, basically, yeah. yeah. Yep, so that's going to be, uh, I would think, some transfer portal and some young guys, and, and that will be a question to figure out. So enjoy the uh, experience that they have right now while they have it. Scotty B. the Baylor King, how would you contain the passing game, especially Xavier Hutchinson when he has five touchdowns and leads the team in receptions and yards? Yeah, like I said, I, I think based on what we've seen, it's going to be very hard for Baylor to stop Xavier Hutchinson. Like, I, I think he's going to get his. It's just a matter of taking away everything else and forcing turnovers because I do think Deckers will give you opportunities to force a turnover, especially because I think Baylor's going to take away the run. I think Baylor's going to create enough pass rush where he's having to make quicker decisions than he's probably had to um, so far this year. And I do think that there will be opportunities. Baylor has to take them. And then as far as Hutchinson goes, you know, I think you just kind of put, you know, your corners on him and just say, contain him as much as you can because I don't think based on what we've seen they're going to be able to completely take him out of the game I just don't see it Scotty B says uh, yeah I mean he's going to play a factor I don't know that there's there's anything that uh is yeah going to contain him necessarily um are you not going to stop him you can only hope to contain him is yeah. basically what you're going to be trying to do on Saturday I think uh, and that's yeah that's going to be a real test for this secondary that's kind of shown some some uh, weak spots at times, for sure. Uh, it's about to ramp up in a major way. I just listed off a bunch of the guys. Marvin Mims, Xavier Hutchinson, Xavier Worthy. Quinn Johnston. Quinn Johnston. Like, I mean, they haven't seen anything yet. Sorry, Chase Roberts, but you're dropping the bucket, pal, yeah. versus Ashton what they're about Hawkins to see. too. Come on. Yeah. Like, yeah. 
Uh, anyways, I want to give a shout-out to my friend and former Baylor pole vaulter, Annie rhodes Jonigan on becoming an inductee into the Midway Athletics Hall of Fame. Definitely proud of her both on and off the field. Uh, so cool. there's Scotty B. Mikey, even though I feel our defense has played pretty well overall, why can we not adjust our game plan sooner, double up on specific players that are consistently beating us? First, it was Roberts at BYU and now Hawkins at Texas State. Or is our secondary just struggling regardless of adjustments? Trying to get a better feeling of how worried I should be in conference play. Thanks, gents, as always, for all you do. Well, thank you, Mikey, as always, for uh, listening. Yeah, you know, I don't think that you're going to see this team do a lot of double teaming. That's just, they haven't really done that. They haven't really adjusted a ton towards stopping a, you know, one receiver. I will say, I think the thing that we probably, I'm not going to say you just accept it, but I will say that I think that when, I think that Baylor is just struggling to take away number one options. And I'm not sure if it's because Ron Roberts has decided, you know, we'll give that up. We're just not going to give up other things. And that could be possible. Take away the run game, you know, take away other receiving options. They've done a nice job of that. So I'm wondering going into this game, I think we're going to figure out, you know, does Ron Roberts have a trick up his sleeve, you know, for stopping Xavier Hutchinson, or is it going to be more of the same? And if it's more of the same, then you're specifically putting your cornerbacks on islands with Hutchinson while taking away the deep threat. You're allowing him to work one-on-one, you know, around the chains. And that means that you're going to see a lot of 10-yard completions, 15-yard completions, which is a lot of what we saw from Chase Roberts and Ashton Hawkins outside of, you know, a couple throws here or there. Most of it was, you know, 10, 15-yard gains. And so I think it's that bend but don't break mentality that they've had. Um, But I do think Roberts will have some sort of adjustment. I just don't know if it will be specifically towards Hutchinson or more so specifically of trying to force a turnover here and there and taking away the other guys. Well, I think part of it, too, is uh, you lost a ton of uh, experience in Raleigh Tejada and Kalen Barnes and uh, who else am I missing? I mean, uh, JT Woods. Yeah, freaking JT there. Woods. I Jalen mean, Petrie, even, you know. They, they, that's where they're attacking. Their whole you know? secondary basically got wiped out, and that was something that we noted coming in, but you felt like an Al Walcott could help improve that, and it'd be great to see him without a cast. I mean, he'd had a couple of interceptions already that would maybe make you feel a little bit differently about just kind of the state of things. But, I mean, outside of that, though, like there's no – there's no secret recruit that's going to pop up and suddenly be a great corner for them. So uh, I think some of this is just growing pains, and a lot of this is growing pains. A lot of what they're dealing with right now is growing pains. And also, you know, what they're about to deal with is a lot of much better players than they've been playing here, all due respect to these first three opponents. So um, it's going to be interesting. Yeah, and, you know, I'm curious at the safety spot. You know, I feel like Devin Lemire's played pretty well. It's more so been the underneath stuff. You know, the the short, quick game in, in which, you know, Al and Devin Neal are locked in one-on-one battles. That's where I feel like they've been, you know, tested the most, kind of in those situations, especially this week with Hawkins. It was all of those underneath. It wasn't a whole lot of sideline routes. It was kind of just across the middle of the field, one-on-one. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm very curious how they adjust to that. Uh, because on the flip side, Roberts was an outside receiver who torched him, and Hutchinson's going to be an outside receiver as well. So I'm curious the adjustments that they kind of make for this matchup. Bear Coog, first, is there something our defense can learn from the Iowa defense that really made Iowa State struggle? They held Iowa State to 10 points, close to 300 yards, and managed to get three turnovers. Our turnover game needs to be strong. Um, let's start there. Yeah, you know, I, I think when Iowa State played Iowa, some of the things that they did extremely well were forcing turnovers, first of all. You know, Iowa was able to do that. And that that's big, right? They forced three turnovers. Anytime you can force three turnovers, you're going to put yourself in a really good spot. Um, they also only allowed 129 yards rushing to Iowa State on 3.1 yards per carry. 
That's the key, right? If you're able to do that, I think you can really um, minimize the damage that Iowa State can do. When you take away the run, force turnovers, you're going to put yourself in a really good spot. The other factor is they threw for 184 yards, Iowa State did, but Xavier Hutchinson had 11 for 98 and a touchdown. So Iowa let him do his thing, but they basically took away everyone else. Everyone else had less than 90 yards receiving combined. Again, that's the key. Take away everyone else, take away the run game, force turnovers, and Baylor will win this game as long as they take care of the ball on the other end. I think that's kind of the the solution right there. Yeah, that will uh, that will play a huge role for sure. Um, last week's not going to cut it. That was not a good showing in terms of coughing up the football. That will get them a lot of trouble this weekend if they don't uh, secure that. Yeah, because Iowa turned the ball over three times as well. So that's where you gave the game away was because you couldn't take care of the ball either. And Bearcoot to close it out. Second, what is happening up front with us on the D-line? We aren't really getting penetration, sacks, or a ton of TFLs, tackles for loss. High expectations. Why are we not meeting them? Yeah, I think it's interesting because Colt posted something, and I can't remember the exact numbers, but they are literally on a collision course with last year's team. They're in the exact same Last year's position. team didn't get it. I mean, they got their penetration nope. was from like Jalen Petrie flying in there. No, but, but last year, the first three games, they're literally almost at the exact same number, sacks, tackles, as a team. No, I know. Yeah. I'm just saying, like, in general, they weren't, though, like a big right. penetration team or anything like that. Like, it was sending Jalen Petrie on a blitz or, you know. Or Terrell dis- Bernard. Or Terrell yeah. Bernard, and, and those guys are gone. But, but yeah, you're right. Like, I don't think it's it's all that noticeable. I think just maybe the havoc that was created is, is not – doesn't seem as fierce as it was maybe a year ago. Well, at the end of the year, because Baylor's numbers at the end of the year, you're like, dang, look at all the tackles for loss, look at all the sacks. But at the beginning of the year, they played really vanilla, and they weren't getting a lot of sacks, weren't getting a lot of penetration. And so I think this year, my only concern is this year's team is relying on their defensive front more than last year's team to get sacks. They're not bringing as much pressure with Doyle and Jones as they did last year with Petrie and um, Bernard. Now, I think you'll see more of that. I think you're going to see Al Walcott blitz more this week. You might see Matt Jones blitz more. I, I think you're going to see some different tricky formations that they're going to bring at Hunter Deckers, and that's why I'm so confident he is going to cough the ball up at least once, maybe twice, and so that gives me kind of rest as far as I think Baylor's defense is going to look far different as far as a turnover approach. Um, but I will say the defense line needs to play better. They need to play more consistent throughout the game. And their jacks simply have been kind of non-existent for stretches with Garmin Randolph and Jackie Marshall. Those guys need to get pressure, get sacks on the board, wreck some havoc in the backfield. And if they can get to that point, you know, along with Apu and Jackson Player and Gabe Hall and TJ Franklin, I think they're going to be in a great spot. But I wouldn't worry too much about it currently. Again, after this week, we're going to learn a whole lot about where this team is at offensively and defensively once they stop being as vanilla as they have been the past, you know, two or three games. Yeah, hopefully they've got some uh, tricks up their sleeve. But if not, uh, I'm, you know, I'm, I'll tell you right now, I'm feeling pretty confident in picking Iowa State in this game just based on what we've seen so far. Even if there are some tricks, uh, I'll, I'll gladly be wrong on that. But um, I guess it's the only thing left to do is get into this Big 12 schedule, and I've kind of tipped one of my hands already, Grayson. But uh, let's talk about some of these games to close this podcast on out. All right, so in the Big 12 this week, we actually have the first game on Thursday night. So 6.30 p.m. on ESPN, West Virginia travels to Blacksburg to take on Virginia Tech. West Virginia is a two-point favorite over under is 52. Who you got winning this game? 
I don't know. I'll go West Virginia uh, here. I mean, I think it's significant that they're considered favorites on the road, and Virginia Tech's just kind of listless at the moment. This is not the Virginia Tech I grew up with, but that was a long time ago at this point, so um, those days are long gone. Uh, But, yeah, I'll go Virginia Tech. I mean, I think they do have a little something after getting the blowout win last week, kind of rebuilding their confidence JT Daniels is a good player, and um, they've got some weapons. And you know they're they're not a bad team by any stretch. I think they're going to give some teams some some runs in Big Twelve play. But I just think that unfortunately for them, they ran into Kansas and had to be the first example of an improved Kansas team. And um, you know we'll see how how that how that uh, betters them moving forward. But yeah, I'll go West Virginia here in probably a tight game. Yeah, I mean, they've lost two really close games against Mm -hmm. Pitt and Kansas. I don't think they're a bad team. Virginia Tech, on the other hand, lost to Old Dominion. West Virginia is going to win this game. I think West Virginia will win it 34-20. I think they win it fairly handedly. Again, JT Daniels, Bryce Ford-Wheaton, that's a very tough combo to guard. I think West Virginia gets back to 500, which they need to. They absolutely need wins at this point. Next game up, a really fun one. 11 a.m., ESPNU, TCU travels to SMU uh, to take on the Mustangs. TCU is a two-point favorite. Over-under is 70 and a half points. We got? Golly, I mean, before last weekend, I would have said SMU, but then they turn around and they get beat. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I expect a track meet, for one, <laughs> between these two teams. Uh, Dykeson Lashley, that'll be a good little coaching, uh, you know, matchup. I don't, man. I I've watched TCU and I've watched SMU, and I don't I don't really see a lot of difference between these two teams um, in the limited viewing that I've had. Um, but I guess I'll, I mean TCU should beat SMU. Like on paper, that that should be the way things go. So I'll go TCU. But I think this could be one heck of a shootout. And if it's not, like if one team ends up winning convincingly one way or the other, then that's going to be uh, really interesting to break down and, and figure out exactly why and what that means. Yeah, so I don't like that TCU has played Colorado and Tarleton State so They played State some awful so teams, yeah. They haven't played anyone with a pulse. SMU lost last week, but it was on the road to an undefeated Maryland team, and they only lost by seven. Um, I think SMU's going to win this game. I think there's revenge factor here with Sonny Dykes coming back to SMU for this game. They might actually get a crowd there because of that. Hmm. Um, and so for that reason, I think SMU wins this game. I think it'll be close, though, something like 38-31. Uh, but I like SMU to get the win. Next up, a surprising battle of unbeatens on FS1 at 11 a.m. Duke travels to Lawrence to take on the Kansas Jayhawks. Kansas, seven and a half point favorite. Uh, 66 and a half is the over-under. Who you got? Uh, I think Kansas just because they can score more, but man, Mike Elko's done a good job with Duke uh, early on. Um, yeah, yeah I, I guess I'll go Kansas just because, again, they'll probably just win a shootout. But I'm, I'm curious to see how much of a shootout it actually becomes. And when it's not just points galore, uh, kind of how does Kansas play, you know, if they're they're not allowed to just run ramp, run up and down the field. Um, I think Duke might be able to do some of that and, and force them into some more, you know, trying times offensively. But, yeah, I'll, I'll let the Kansas Magic keep living. I don't think it's going to last, you know, the, the length of the season. Uh, but I do think they're going to make a bowl game probably or at least come very, very close to that at already being at three wins. And, um, yeah, I'll, I'll go KU here in a, in a tight game. Yeah, I mean, Jalen Daniels is – He's been playing fantastic. Probably the most improved player in the entire country. He's been awesome. Both these teams 3-0. I think Duke's going to have something for Kansas this week. I think there's enough tape on them. I don't think there's enough tape on Duke. Duke hasn't played a bunch of good teams. They won at Northwestern, though, so they have that win. But I just have a feeling that Duke's going to end 
Kansas's run here this week, but it will be a close game. I think they'll take this one 34-31, and like you said, I think they'll get a few stops, mm-hmm. which is going to be key in this one. Next up, 2.30 on ESPN. Texas travels to Lubbock to take on Texas Tech. Texas, six-and-a-half-point favorite. Over-under is 60. Texas just knocked off UTSA. Tech just lost their first game of the year on the road at NC State. Who you got? Yeah, this is another one of those games that if you were to ask me, uh, I don't know, like Friday, my opinions, like every game I'm picking might be the opposite, honestly, because just as the week goes along, other things start to trickle into my brain. But um, I don't know. This one I think is probably going to stay Texas the entire time. And uh, I fully expect a raucous crowd and Joey McGuire and company to throw everything at UT. Um, but I do think UT is a bit more explosive. Uh, definitely got a better offense, no matter who the quarterback is. And uh, I think they're better defensively as well. So I'll go UT in this one, even though it's in Lubbock. If it was at night, maybe I'd go harder for the Red Raiders. But Donovan Smith just throws way too many uh, picks. And, um, yeah, I just, I'm just i not all in on, on Texas Tech uh, just yet. But they are, you know, they're playing hard. They're playing tough, and they believe in what they're doing. And, and that's going to get them a long way. But I, I think Texas is you know, kind of feeling themselves right now. And, uh, and there's some reason to, it's not like the false reasons like Texas typically has. There's, there's some reason for it. And Hudson card. Hey man, I'm interested to kind of see like how the quarterback position can hold up, but Quinn Ewers apparently practicing earlier this week. So they'll have options there. It'll be interesting to see what Texas ends up rolling out. Yeah. I think he'll probably be back for the Oklahoma game. I'm betting. I I don't think he plays this week, but you're exactly right. Here are the three factors. Texas tech turns the ball over way too much. Texas tech can't run the football and Texas's defense looks far improved. And for all those reasons, I think Texas wins this game actually fairly easily. Uh, I think it'll be something like, 31 to 20. I think they get the win. Yeah, like I could flip the previous picks that we did by the end of the week. I just because that's how I go back and forth. This one I'm not flipping. No, like I'm, I'm sticking with this pick right here. Even on the road. And it's hard no, to yeah. trust Texas. Trust me. Oh, it's yeah. Hard but I'm sticking them, with them. I just put that in ink. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Um, next game at night, 7 p.m. on Fox. Kansas State travels to Norman to take on Oklahoma. Oklahoma's a 13 point favorite. The over under is 53. This game lost a lot of shine because Kansas State. State just <laughs> pulled off a terrible performance against Tulane. So now they're sitting at 2-1. and one. OU is number six in the country right now. Yeah, Oklahoma looks really good. Um, they're balancing, you know, Venable's defense with Levy's offense quite well. Uh, the familiar there with Dylan Gabriel's certainly come into – Coming to or is coming handy, and uh, they've got some you know guys like Marvin Mims. Mims is doing what he should have been doing last year. He's having a terrific season. They're they're so full of belief up there right now, and in Venables and what they're doing and the direction they're going and all of that. Uh, give me Oklahoma in this one. Uh, K State though has given them fits in the past, but I do think that they got kind of punched in the gut last week, and there's just not enough belief in Adrian Martinez at quarterback. It's like Deuce Vaughn or bust still, and you know Martinez was supposed to come in and give them this different dynamic to complement that, and I don't think we've seen that. And I think if anything in the passing game, he's remained hesitant because he's trying not to be old Adrian Martinez rather than just letting her rip and let loose. You know what I'm saying? I think he's trying to kind of trying to be perfect. And uh, that's not going to get them anywhere. So that's only led to further problems. They're they're not as dynamic as I thought that they would be offensively. So yeah, give me Oklahoma. Yeah, they look like a seven and five, eight and four team once again. Their defense is great. Their defense will give OU some problems. But like you said, with Adrian Martinez, they had a fourth and one or two in that Tulane game, and it was an option play. And he rolls left and stares at Deuce Vaughn and is like, 
oh no, I can't pitch this. I'm going to turn it over. Just keeps it and gets tackled in the backfield. It's like, dude, you got to pitch that yeah. earlier. Just clearly afraid and just not looking very good at all. Here's the problem. OU's going to take away their run game as best they can. Deuce will get his to a certain extent, but they're going to force turnovers from Adrian Martinez, and they're going to get after the quarterback. Oklahoma's been fantastic getting after the quarterback, and that's going to make Adrian Martinez's day absolutely horrible. So I'll take Oklahoma in this one, 31-14. I think they roll fairly comfortably um, in this game, even if their offense does have a few hiccups. Uh, finally, the last game of the week, 11 a.m. on ESPN2. Baylor travels to Ames, Iowa to take on the Iowa State Cyclones. Iowa State, two-and-a-half-point favorite, 46 points is the over-under currently. Who you got? I'm going Iowa State. Uh, they're at home, and uh, I think that you know these two teams, all things uh, equal, are probably pretty even in the long run, um, but I just think that uh, the home advantage matters here, and I just don't like what I'm seeing from Baylor offensively right now. Um, I know that, that Richard Reese gave them a nice spark, but – uh, I just don't believe Baylor's going to go in there and run the football on Iowa State this weekend. And if they can't do that, then I, I sure don't see any reason to believe they're going to go pass well enough on them to be able to to win this game. So um, I think defensively they can hold up and hold in there. Uh, but I just I'm having a hard time seeing where the points are coming from, and um, I just I just don't have enough belief right now. I'll say that for them to score uh, with Iowa State. So I'll go Cyclones. Yeah, I don't think either team's scoring very much in this game, and I think the big point that I'm looking at is the fact that I think Hunter Deckers is going to turn the ball over. I think you're going to see a much more havoc-inducing defense uh, by Baylor. You're going to see more schemed sacks. You're going to see more, I think, um, opportunities to force turnovers as well. I think they're going to take away the run game. And while I think uh, Iowa State's defense is really, really good, I think that Baylor's offense is going to have some counters this week that maybe we haven't seen during the season. So as long as Baylor gets Ben Sims and Monterey Baldwin back, I think they're going to have enough weapons to compete in this game. I think their defense is going to play great. And I just have this sneaky feeling that Baylor's going to win the turnover battle and come out of Ames with a win. I got the score 23-20. to I think the Bears find a way to finally get rid of some of those road woes and come up with a huge conference win heading into that big uh, home matchup against Oklahoma State. Well, that'd be awesome. Uh, I'm certainly not rooting against that. I uh, just and, and I don't mean to say scoring with Iowa State like this is going to be some track meet. I just I'm having a hard time seeing where the points are coming from. Mm -hmm. And um, I on I, both sides though, that's the thing. Yeah, yeah, I, on both sides, but I, I don't know. I'm going Iowa State in this game, and, um, you know, I'll be, I'll be happy to be wrong when all is said and done. But uh, we will get to see here in just a few days. So uh, anything before we go, Grayson? No, nothing really. Just, of course, if you haven't tried Sikkim 365 Premium, we have all kinds of articles pretty much, you know, daily, hourly, it feels like, on the website. And, of course, uh, 365 Sports Radio, Monday through Friday, 3 to 6. Be sure to check that out as well. Tons of content, tons of college football news and notes. It's a, it's a fun time right now. Yes, it is. A lot of conference play about to get underway. A lot of fun stuff uh, just around college football to talk about results-wise. And you see realignments scoop, you know, rearing its ugly head again. And there's just all these different you know, things that are, that are in play uh, for fun discussion uh, as football season rolls along. And we're really just getting started, although the schedule, regular season schedule, already a quarter of the way through for college football, believe it or not. So take advantage of uh, enjoying it while we can. And we certainly will. And we certainly appreciate everybody out there for listening uh, whenever you do. And uh, hopefully you're spreading the word when you get a chance to as well. We do appreciate those of you who uh, – 
you know, listen and also spread the word of this podcast. So until next time, thanks to all the folks behind the scenes, uh, Garrett and Jack and also Jacob. For Grayson and Green Hafer, I'm Craig Smoke. This has been the Bearcast on Sikkim365.com, 365 Sports.